really just wanted to give a bit of an introduction uh, to the message today in a moment and, and the message tomorrow and the, the kind of prophetic direction that the Lord has led us in uh, to get here. Uh, it's a little while ago, I preached on Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 about digging. Do you remember that? Bringing the spades in. It's time to seek the Lord. So, so dig up your unplowed ground. Brought a few spades in. And, uh, and that kind of seemed to spark a bit of a, a prophetic theme. Uh, we, were, we were gathered at a prayer meeting and someone prophesied about a moment uh, in Genesis where Isaac, Abraham's son, went and unblocked some wells that his father had previously dug. You can't survive for long without water, can you? So digging wells was vitally important to sustain life. And Abraham had done that uh, in the land of Canaan, dug out these wells um, uh, and given them a name. But in the part, given them each a name, but in the passing of time, they'd become blocked up. The Philistines had blocked them up. And so it was Isaac, his son, who, who unblocked those wells. And it provides kind of a, a prophetic uh, picture of why we are here. What are we doing here? Why are we having this weekend away? And, and that prayer meeting brought something into focus. It's about wells being unblocked. And today, in a moment, we're going to look at a particular well. Uh, tomorrow, we might look at what clogs every well up. But today, we're going to focus on a particular well. And I was fascinated to hear that... Um, all the small groups of the North Congregation had got together um, one, one midweek evening at Shirecliffe Community Centre. And uh, in the context of meeting, lots of different encouraging prophecies and so on. And then uh, Jen Richardson just wandered up to Paul and Richard and said, I, and said well, I was digging in my garden. She knows I was going to say this, don't you, Jen? Um, I was digging in my garden and I found in the soil a £10 note. I mean, when does that happen? Anyway, um, found a £10 note and said, I feel God is saying, it's time to seek the Lord for provision for growth. She's preparing the ground because she wants to grow some stuff. She finds a £10 note. It's time to seek the Lord for uh, provision for for growth. And uh, I'm actually going to do something this morning which I've not done before, which is to preach to you someone else's message. Now, that's not just cheating. Well, maybe it is. Um, <laughs> because we have, we have had an exalted father figure in Arnold who dug some wells for us. The very fact that we're here having a weekend away is because Arnold said, let's go and have a weekend away. And no one has to pay for their place. It's... Uh, the church is going to cover this. And you're welcome to give, but you don't have to. Um, and, and so that's, that's why we're here. And we're here to, to look again at one of the wells that he dug for us in the whole area of faith for finance and grace for giving. And in September 2012, uh, he preached from, from Romans 12, uh, and he could say, look, this is just the next verse in the, in the series. This is where we've arrived at. Well, I'm, I'm making a choice. We're making a choice uh, to go there today. So it's, it's his message. It, it will be my turns of phrase. Uh, it's not a transcript. I, 
I, I haven't kind of written it down for word for word. I'm not going to do his gestures. I'm going to do my own. Um, uh, I'll attempt my own jokes rather than his, you know, all that kind of thing. I might bring out a few different, uh, a few different illustrations or uh, some, some fresh application for today. But basically, uh, this will be very similar to a message that's online on City Church website, uh, uh, giving, uh, giving generously. And it intrigues me as well, we've, we've, when we've been here before sometimes, we've received that reminder of uh, the church in Antioch. And uh, if you've been to the intro course recently when we've, we've been doing it, we, we take a guided tour through lots of different New Testament churches and we look to learn something from each church. And one of the churches that we visit on that guided tour uh, is the church in Antioch. And we don't know loads about it, but what we do know is, is amazing. And, and we look at it to go through all the different ways in which that church grew. Um, remarkably, there lots of ways in which they, they grew in numbers. Uh, lots of people were coming to faith. Um, uh, Barnabas goes, and, and they grow in encouragement. They grow in numbers again. Then Barnabas goes and gets Paul, and Paul teaches... And they grow in Christ-likeness. They become more like Jesus. And people would give them a nickname, Christian. That's why we're called Christians, because people started taking the mickey out of people who follow Jesus in Antioch. That's, that's, that's where it's come from. Um, and what's interesting is seeing all these different ways in which they grew. They grew in, uh, in, in, in their spiritual gifts. They grew in number. They grew in faith. And it's, it, we can see that they grew in generosity. Some, some prophets turn up, and as they're prophesying, one of them, Agabus, talks about a famine that's going to hit, and it's like their, their vision grows. They see we're not just here for Antioch, we're, we're here uh, with a bigger vision, and they've got a heart to, 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 to provide the needs of other believers in other places, and so uh, they decide to give. And so there's this kind of uh, growth of generosity. And so that word about seeking God for growth is, is a kind of key ingredient uh, in, in being an Antioch uh, church. As God expands our vision, as we get a heart for more than just our own uh, situation, uh, it, that growth in faith uh, it leads us into a growth of generosity. Anyway, we're going to look at Romans uh, chapter 12. So I shall read uh, from verse 1 through to verse, uh, well, through to verse 8. says this, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. According to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. 
If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. And that's where we will uh, just conclude. Paul has spent 12, uh, sorry, 11 chapters uh, in Romans marveling at the mercies of God shown to us in the gospel. And you know he's been marveling at it because he's taken 11 chapters to, to, to go into it. To, he's dug deeply and he's, he's sharing just the wonder of the good news in Jesus. And then he arrives at the end of chapter 11 and what bursts out of his heart is this song of praise. This uh, it might be it's called a doxology. It's, this is where he concludes. Before he goes on, he stops and he worships and he says, oh, because the gospel is breathtaking. The good news in Jesus brings out a wow from his heart. A wow. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out uh, and so on. So this wow comes out of his heart and he turns as he goes into chapter 12 and onwards. He's now uh, shifting his focus slightly to say, well, how do we respond then in view of everything that the Lord has done, in light of this amazing gospel, in view of God's mercy, or uh, uh, some translations will put it God's mercies, that just the sense of abundance and uh, a lavish uh, wonder. He, he says, how, how do we do re- respond in the light of it? Well, he says, we give our whole selves to God, totally to him. All I am is yours, O oh God. I'm wholly yours, uh, as we sometimes sing. That's, that's the response that the, the gospel brings. It brings a wow, and it brings, God, I'm, it's all about you. And therefore, I'm all for you. Uh, I'm yours, wholly yours, for your glory. As we realize that, we also go on to realize that we, we belong to God's church. We are part of his body, and therefore we belong to one another. And so as God gives uh, gifts, he gives them to his, his body. We don't all have exactly the same, uh, the same gifts, but he's giving supernatural gifts of his Holy Spirit to enable us, his body, to be more like him. So that when in the world people look at the church, they get an idea, they get a flavor, they, they have their eyes opened to what God is like. If, I, if that's what the church is like, that's showing me what God is like. That's what God wants. He wants the world to see. Uh, a people who are part of a completely different kingdom, who've been impacted by this wonderful gospel, and it's shaped their lives, it's changed their lives. There are people transformed and being renewed in their minds because they're not conforming to the world. They're conforming to this wonderful gospel. They're conforming as part of God's people, God's kingdom. And so as we see that, we see one of the specifics here is giving, giving generously. And we'll see it's there because that's what God is like. And it's there because it applies generally to, to all of us. So you can read down some of the other gifts. They're not there so that we just pick and choose. So, oh, it must be 
somebody else who has the gift of encouragement. That's not me, so I don't have to encourage. It's, no, this, is, this is all uh, characteristics that are seen in the kingdom, seen in, in God's body. For particular people and particular ones, it, it kind of becomes extraly... Arnold didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 bring, it, it comes with this supernatural quality. It's like, yeah, that's encouraging, but wow, that's really encouraging. Um, a gift that grows uh, in people that God has given that gift. So we're looking at, first of all, what God is like. And God gives. And God is generous. And we see that, obviously, in so many, so many places see it in creation, where God created everything. He created the whole world, and he created a garden. And that's where he put Adam uh, and Eve as well. They were placed into a wonderful, amazing, and beautiful garden. And we're told right at the beginning of Genesis that there were all kinds of trees, pleasing to the eye and good for food. As we read on, you know, we know that the Lord said, well, there's that one particular tree that you can't eat from. And sometimes we're very good at homing in on what's not allowed or the prohibition. There's one tree. But let's not forget, this garden was full of life. It was full of trees. It was abundant. It was a place of great blessing. And they were free to eat from all the trees apart from that one over there, all the other trees, they were free to eat from. It's a garden that's richly stocked, luxurious, a wonderful place for them to be. So we see it there in creation. We see it in the nation of Israel. They were a people in slavery, and God rescues them, brings them out from Egypt in order to bring them into the land that the Lord had promised them. And it's a land that would be flowing with milk and honey. And when the spies went in, they spied it out, and they said, yes, it really is flowing with milk and honey. It's not, not just the basics, not just the essentials, but, but overflowing with wonderful things. Now, I don't shop in Waitrose very often, but it amuses me that Waitrose has their basics range is called... I know, Waitrose Essentials. And it's amazing what Waitrose regard as essential. <laughs> you, kind of, you go to the, the fridge with the desserts and you think, Waitrose Essential Tiramisu. Like, since when, I mean, I can't live without it. You know, I never leave the, ha- the home without it. What's, well, <laughs> God's provision is a bit like that. Even the basics, even the essentials are wonderful. But it's, it's overflowing and beyond. Uh, it's better even than Waitrose. Oh. <laughs> and we see in the nation, even when they, over many generations, turned away from God, again, you see God's generosity, God's kindness in bringing them, bringing them back. I'm going to bring you back in. I'm going to bring you back into that land. Um, in Psalm 103, uh, it begins, you know, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord, and what? Forget not all his benefits. And, the, and that particular psalm just reels through so many of them. All his benefits. Why? Because God is just so gracious, so generous. And we see that in the New Testament. 
We see that in in John chapter 3, verse 16. That God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved the world that he gave the, the most precious and dear thing to him that he could have given. He gave Jesus. He, he sent his one and only son. The most precious gift that we might be on the receiving end of grace upon grace, kindness upon kindness, free salvation and forgiveness that would make us children of God, adopted into his family, part of his kingdom, with an eternal future to look forward to in heaven, which will be better than that garden. That was paradise, that was wonderful, but there's something even more wonderful to come for the people of God. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief, I can never say that, was that right? No, thief, the stealer, (laughs) comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come, you might have life, and life to the full. That uh, image, that dream, that uh, Neil shared a moment ago, going to an old-style fruit machine, the one-armed bandit, pulling, putting the money in, putting the lever, it looks like it's designed to give. All you've got to do is just put in a few coins. You pull that lever, and you've hit the jackpot. It looks like it's going to give you something. But actually, it takes it away. And that's what the enemy like. That's what the devil is like. He, he presents these other options. Here's what you can do with your money. <laughs> Here's how you can spend your life. Give to me and I'll do this. No, but he's a, he's a what is it again, Rach? Thief. He's a stealer. He robs. He takes away. It looks like life, but it's, it's death. It's destruction. But the Lord is different. His, his generosity is overflowing. That we might have life to the full. And that's what we see in Jesus' life. In, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, we see him uh, with his disciples and thousands of people have come to him in an isolated place out of town and he's been teaching them and they're hanging on his every word. It's getting late in the day and the disciples are starting to worry. Lord, you need to send the people away so they can go and get something to eat. Uh, we don't want to tire them out. This is, this is time to call things to a halt. Let's just stop there. And Jesus says to them, and it's easy to imagine somehow that there was maybe some sort of glint in his eye, a mischievous look, as he says, you give them something to eat. What? We're told that there are 5,000 men, which might mean as many as 10,000 or 15,000 people. This is a big crowd. How on earth are the disciples going to provide them with something to eat. They have a rustle round, and they, they, they five, find some bread and some fish, but, well, it's just five loaves, and just two fish. Can you imagine, like, half a crumb per kind of village group, maybe, or per family group. There you go. God bless you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And God bless you. Here's another little crumb. Here's a tiny, tiny morsel. There's no way we can afford, the disciples were thinking, there's no way we can afford, in our terms, it would cost thousands to do that. Jesus, what are you saying? Sit the people down, he says. Jesus, then, he takes 
those small provisions. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks for them. And then he starts to break them up. Hands them to the disciples and say, go and give them out. And they witness uh, a miracle taking place in their own hands. What must that have been like? To have half a loaf in your hand and to be ripping it up and passing it out and finding that there's still more in your hand. And they have an abundance left over. Each disciple carrying like this massive basket full at the end. That's just ludicrous. That's ridiculous. But it's the kingdom of God. You give them something to eat. And, and that's what sometimes us Christians need to, need to learn and relearn. The, the abundant, lavish blessing and favor of God. His character, his kingdom. It's the generous kingdom. We're on the receiving end of it. And we see that in the gospel. Ultimately, Jesus giving his life, his own body being broken for us. His own blood being shed. That a ransom might be paid so that we come into redemption. We come into his kingdom. We, We know forgiveness. That's the God that we serve. We serve a generous, lavish, wonderful God. And he doesn't change. It says in Romans 5 that we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace isn't just the doorway that we enter through to come into the kingdom. Isn't it wonderful? Free. It's all free. It's all free. And then you come in through and you realize, oh, no, no, now it's hard work and you've got to pay. So everything is grace. That's where we stood. And his character doesn't change. It's where we stand. It's, it's our spiritual identity, as it were. It's our spiritual DNA. And this is the, the well that was opened up by our father figure, knowing the grace of God, knowing his generosity and favor, unlearning all those legalistic ways of thinking that can creep into uh, any church's life. When we think we've got to pay God back, uh, when we think in those kind of terms, no, we have a God who's generous and keeps on giving. So let's turn then to how that applies to us, this gift of giving. If, we are, if the gift is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Or in other words, uh, literally, if contributing with simplicity, simple giving, or single-minded giving. A, a kind of determined and focused and faith-filled giving. And as I said earlier, all these gifts apply uh, generally uh, and are something for us all to exercise. And then for some of us, they become a supernatural uh, gift with which we bless the rest of the body. So let's firstly consider, well, how does it apply to all of us? We are all God's people. If we uh, have received Christ as Lord and Savior, then we've been born again. And God's seed has been planted in us. We're a new creation, uh, and uh, we're part of his family. And therefore, there's going to be a family resemblance, like father, like children. And we're all his children, and so his character becomes our character. And we see that uh, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, with the church. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were saved. They were baptized. They heard the message. They were cut to the heart as Peter preached the gospel. 
They responded in faith. They got baptized. They were saved. And they were added in to this group of 120 believers. And then something wonderful happens. They just naturally, they become generous people. They see where others have needs in part of this group of 3,000. Let's just uh, uh, go there briefly in uh, Acts chapter 2. It says in verse 41, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added uh, to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods uh, they gave to anyone as he had need. Uh, that's what we see there. Uh, not that necessarily they all pulled their resources and, and, and went into some kind of strange kind of collective ownership scheme. No, they, they all had their own possessions and they were free to do what they wanted to, with them. And so when they spotted a need, they were free to sell their land or sell some property, sell some possession in order to have a resource to give uh, to others. And it goes on to say that they, uh, they, uh, they laid it down at the apostles' feet. We see it a little bit later on at the end of... Uh, Acts chapter 4 as well. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And it goes on to give the the positive example of of Joseph and Barnabas selling land and and doing just that, putting it all at the apostles' feet uh, in order to meet the needs of others as part of the same group. Give us a picture of this single-minded, simple giving that is fueled by grace and faith. And so that's how it applies to us. In other words, it's not giving is not something to be done uh, reluctantly or begrudgingly or under compulsion. Uh, some churches can apply pressure to the whole subject and say, well, you've got to give. How much are you going to give this year? Could you write that down on a pledge and then we'll come back to you if you haven't meet, met your pledge? What went wrong at the end of the year? I mean, uh, that sometimes... Uh, happens, or just the, uh, the the pressure starts to come down when there's a, a special opportunity to give. Well, that's what we'd call it anyway, I suppose. Um, uh, the buckets have gone, gone round, and some enthusiastic things are said from the front about, why don't you double it? Why don't you triple it? Come on, folks. Let's send the buckets round again. And, and, and pressure comes down onto the whole uh, subject. Sometimes that's because, uh, as churches under the new covenant, we can just borrow... Uh, old covenant concepts that apply to the subject. And in the Old Testament, we see there that when giving was spoken about, uh, the concept used was tithing, giving a tenth. Well, that sounds simple. Why can't we go with that? Oh, well, there's freedom to. But it almost, for people who just take it straight, it, it becomes a rule. It becomes a heavy burden. Got to give a tenth, so got to, got to calculate absolutely 
everything. Actually, I'm not even sure tithing was that straightforward. When you look into the Old, Covenant, uh, Old Testament, there were different occasions, different festivals, uh, to give a tenth of different things to different people, uh, to the Levites, to other priests. It's not necessarily the, the, the simple thing we might make, make it out to be. You turn to the New Testament, you see no reference to tithing at all. Believers in the new co- under the New Covenant are never exhorted to tithe. It's, the pressure doesn't come down in that way. This heavy rule is not applied. What is applied, we see in 2 Corinthians. Where's that bit gone? 2 Corinthians uh, and chapter 9. Reading from verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Whenever the New Testament talks about giving, it always comes with this uh, encouragement to believe for a promise. Now, giving generously doesn't mean that we reap financially necessarily, but we're being encouraged. And then it goes on to say, each man or each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, So it's not just an edict coming from on high, saying this is how much you should give. There's a freedom in the heart to decide how much. That it's not under compulsion. It's not pressured. That's gone away. It's not a requirement. And if we do give, but we give reluctantly, it would be better to stop. That would be an appropriate application from having look, look at these scriptures today, to, to stop. Why? Well, because God, God sees the heart. God is a cheerful giver, and God loves a cheerful giver. I imagine... This is one of Arnold's illustrations. Imagine if, if up on the, you know, we had a screen on our shoulder and whenever we're interacting with somebody else, uh, they, can, they can literally read our thoughts because they're on the screen. I mean, in today's way, that would just be like an emoji, wouldn't it? Just a, uh, an expression here. So on the outside, this is what I look like. But on the inside, I'm thinking this. Um, and then it's your birthday. And, and somebody gives you what looks like a really generous gift, but you see what's on the screen. I am only giving this because I feel I ought to. I'd rather have spent the money, quite frankly, on something else for myself. But, happy birthday. <laughs> and you see that on the screen. You'd be like, and this generous, what does it kind of turn into? You think, oh, I'm, I don't know, I'm not really sure I want this now. It seems almost tainted. By, by this reluctance, I'd, I'd, I'd rather receive what somebody was cheerful to give, and then I can cheerfully uh, receive it. Let's not give because we think we have to. It would be better to stop giving and retrace our steps and just look at the first 11 chapters for a bit of, of Romans. Just get the gospel back into our, our thinking and our, and our hearts that there's that wow again. When that wow comes, no one needs to be told to give or not to give. It's just what's happening from time to time. There's this decision in the heart. Oh, 
I've spotted an opportunity. I could give. I want to give. It becomes a privilege. It becomes an adventure. It becomes exciting. Not reluctant. Not begrudging. And also not to gain anything. In other words, we're not giving with mixed motives. It's not trying to pay God back. We even see that in, in Romans 11, just those few verses as part of uh, Paul's song of praise. In verse 35, who's ever given to God that God should repay him? We're not, we're not looking to pay back God, and God's not paying us back because we've given to him. It's all by grace. We're not buying favor from God, and we're not trying to earn admiration from other people. When, when Jesus taught elsewhere on giving... He effectively said, well, well, do it do it secretly, do it privately. It's between you and God. So he said in Matthew uh, chapter 6, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret uh, will reward you. So that doesn't mean that as the buckets come along, you're holding your gift in your right hand, you pass it to your left hand and then put it in the bucket and go, oh no, I've disobeyed the word of God. Don't let another part of the body know what you're doing. And we're all members of the same body. We're, we're not looking to impress. Um, uh, it's, it's good to be discreet. It can be uh, it can given anonymously. And sometimes that's happening when the buckets are passing around. Someone knows. I think I've, sp- I've seen an opportunity to bless somebody else. So I'm just going to slip something in the bucket with their name on it and they won't know it's from me. Brilliant. Wonderful. Because that's what happens when grace, uh, when people get hold of grace, when the grace of God gets hold of us. So giving anonymously, well, that's kind of the safest way. It's not, uh, not a rule, not a law, but it makes it clear that when we're giving, we're giving with no strings attached. We're, we're giving it away. We're not trying to earn any favor. And when we give it away, we're doing just that. We take our hands off. It's no longer, when, I, when we give, it's no longer my money. So you might kind of go to the church. What are you doing with my money? When you gave it, it stopped being yours. So we'll let you know what we're doing with it. This has become the church's money because you give, you've given. Um, and, and therefore, uh, that's, that's what we see. That's what we see the believers doing in, in Acts. They, they put the money at the apostles' feet. This is for you to use to, to meet other needs. Um, so giving, giving to the church. Because you trust its leaders. If you don't trust, then you don't really, please don't give. That's fine. Um, Not controlling how it's spent. Sometimes, like in preparation for the weekend away, we might say, if you want to give, you can. If it's specifically for the weekend away, then just mark it with that. And I kind of, what were the initials again? C-C-S-W-E-A. All right, there we go. Um, And there's occasions where we've said, look, here's an opportunity to give. Uh, Just just mark it. but sometimes we, there have been difficulties when money has been given, specified to a particular need, and that we're legally bound to use it for that need, but if we are not doing that particular project, 
just sits in the accounts. And that's, that's a historic issue, really. We, we faced that a number of years back where money was given to a certain thing. And it's like, well, let's say you thought, I think the, the church should really buy a house. And maybe one day we'll do that in order to uh, house asylum seekers or people who are homeless and, and run a house. That's a massive commitment. It's a massive project. So I'm going to give, let's say you think, oh, feeling super generous, uh, I've been blessed recently, so I'm going to give £1,000 for City Church Jubilee House. Right. It's going to cost a fair bit more than £1,000 to buy a house. So what's it going to do? It's just going to sit there collecting dust, so to speak, in the church's account. So, so giving and trusting that will be worked out and, uh, and go towards valuable uh, activity. This kind of generous giving is what best reflects the new birth that we have received from God. So again, it's, it's not, must I give? Do I have to give? How much should I? In the gospel, it becomes, I can give. I'm going to decide what to give. There's no compulsion. How much shall I give? Uh, and it becomes an adventure. It becomes uh, a faith venture. that becomes exciting. And it becomes really exciting when this general, generous giving becomes a supernatural gift enabled by the Holy Spirit. It goes beyond what might be normal, normally, considering in my heart what to give, in proportion and so on, and it becomes, becomes supernatural. That, we, we see that uh, it, back in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 8, with reference to the churches in Macedonia. And uh, this, is another, this, is, this is another bunch of churches that's worth visiting. And saying, well, what have they got hold of? Well, let's have a look. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Notice that. It's the grace that was given them. Verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able enough to see you through this entire drought. Don't be afraid. Trust God. She doesn't receive this massive stockpile. She just goes every day to that jar and that jug and she sees, oh, that handful of flour is still there. Wow, that little bit of oil. I thought I used that yesterday. Still there. But the faith is in God, therefore, not in the massive stockpile appearing before their eyes. And, and Jesus says, here we go, I've blessed it. Five loaves, two fish. I'll break it up, give it to you. Now you start hand, handing it out. And that's what they start to do. I mean, wouldn't you want to be part of that? <laughs> wouldn't you want to have been there, to have seen that in your own hands? You can visualize this small dish of food, and at the end, you can see 12 massive baskets. And then you see the people heading home, full tummies, because they've encountered the kingdom of God. What a wonder. But you see, with Jesus, the decision comes first. 
Tell them to sit down. I mean, that is living on the edge. <laughs> Tell the people to sit down. Jesus, this, these are the resources that we have. Tell them to sit down. He generates an expectation in the people before there's the resources to go with it. Logically, it's nuts. But spiritually, it's exciting. And then they start to see the miracles. The decision comes first and the provision follows. Stepping out in faith and then seeing that the Lord is faithful to his word. And he will provide for us graciously so that we can abound in every good work. And this is why it's a well that we know something about. And it's been our experience because the Lord led us. Now, this is going back some. The Lord led us to the Jubilee Center to buy it and to renovate it. And if we had waited until we had reserves of one million pounds, we would, we'd not be there. If we were waiting for the provision first, before we embarked on the project, we'd never have made it. How were we led? We were led to buy a building that we couldn't afford, trusting that the provision would follow. We experienced a massive million-pound object lesson in faith for finance. And you've joined the church since. This is going back years. And if you come to the, you know, an all-together or the 9.30 or 11.30 meeting, you just, think, just wander into the building and think, well, when did, they, when did they pick this shade of blue? Well, it was just the turn of the millennium. Um, <laughs> honestly, that wasn't the most significant thing going on at the time. What did we learn? We learned, we haven't got anything, Lord, but we spotted this opportunity. And the faith came. God is calling us to buy that building and, and for it to be a new home. The opportunity came first, then the faith was getting stirred, and that was growing. The decision, we're going for it. And then bit by bit, the provision coming in. We didn't see a million pounds in one go. It came in here and it came in there. It came miraculously, well, not necessarily miraculously, but it, it came as other churches decided to, to loan and to give. It came as people made their own uh, decisions. But what we learned is we learned how to pray. So you come along to a prayer meeting on a Friday night and think, what on earth are our, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 people doing here on a Friday evening praying. Well, we learnt how to pray. We learnt the importance of it because we realise we're done for if God doesn't <laughs> show up. Uh, every week, you know, or every couple of weeks, it's a, there's a new invoice, people. And uh, this one is 25 grand. And another time, there's another invoice, people. It's for 50 grand. What are we going to do? Well, we don't have anything, so we've got to pray. But we, so we were learning to pray. We were learning to seek God and we, were learned, we discovered provision for growth. We also learned about grace, which was so important. Right back there. That, that's why this kind of well-being dug is so significant. We're in the good of it now. We learn about the grace of God. You do not have to give. As elders, we will never know who gave, who didn't give, how much people gave, or whatever. 
we learn to pray, we learn about faith, and we learn about grace. We learnt that we're not paying God back. It's no heavy burden. It's we're being drawn into something by, by grace. No one had to give. Everyone would be welcome. None of the elders would ever know how much people gave. And we saw miracles happen. Why? Because God is able to make all grace abound to us. We get an exciting adventure and God gets all the glory. That's how it rolls. That's how it works. And therefore there is a joy that the people of God are to be uh, experiencing in this whole area. Again, that was just that reference to Isaac digging up the well. So Isaac's name means laughter. It doesn't mean gloom. It means laughter. Digging up the well. is, And we've been promised, we've been encouraged of, of, of joy, fresh joy, new joy, being restored to the people of God this weekend. And again, we'll not know about your giving. That's not the point. Arnold could say, this is not a veiled appeal for money. Because he could just say, we're doing a series through Romans and we've, a, we've got to chapter 12. I know that we've, a, we've decided to go here today. We've made the decision. Kind of set out the reasons why. Because I think it is the time to seek the Lord for fresh, fresh provision. We want to be clear on these things. The importance of faith and grace and prayer and notice that link to Antioch again. It's, it, their faith was growing. Their vision was growing. They were getting caught up into more things. Yes, there was stuff going on locally, but now uh, uh, beyond their own borders as well. And generosity had to be part uh, of the mix. Grace had to be part of the mix. Joy has to be part of the mix. And hence we've looked at that today. This is still not a veiled appeal for money. You are at liberty not to give. You are... Uh, you're free, we won't know. But we're going on the next chapter of our adventure together in faith. The Lord will do miraculous things. So our encouragement is be part of those miracles or don't. But that's the way we're going. We're trusting God to provide. When we make decisions and go, well, we don't have the money, we're believing God. He can do miracles. He's the one who makes all grace abound. And that means joyful church life for us. It means hilarious digging. Would you believe what we've just uncovered? Would you believe what the Lord has provided? Would you believe how, how we've been enabled to give beyond our ability? We're going to head back in that direction because the Lord wants to lead us there. Let's make sure that we are doing what this passage does, living life in view of the mercies of God. Feel free to stop giving if it means coming back to the gospel and just getting that wow back into your spirit. And maybe the reason for looking at this subject, again, not just for us as a church, but personally for some of you, is that actually faith, it's not the first word that springs to mind when you start thinking about finance. It's like a well has got clogged up. And we've had these words about fear. God wants us to be fearless. But sometimes fear can start to clog things up again. Oh, I, I would, but I mustn't. I can't, surely. Maybe that applies to giving. Maybe it applies in some other 
area. It, it's faith, it's, it's fear-led rather than faith-filled. Let's behold the amazing mercies of God. Let's see again and believe his character as the bottom line. That's what we believe. That's what guides us. That's what governs us. That's what we're believing for. We're trusting in a God who is generous and gracious and doesn't lead us to this clogged up dead end, but leads us into life, life to the full. He's not going to be stealing and killing and destroying. That's the work of our enemy. The work of God is to give us life to the full, life in abundance. And so we're going to follow him and demonstrate his kingdom. Amen.